0: Welcome back to the Mindful Psychonaut podcast. Now it's been a while, um, but we're coming back today with episode twelve, and we're going to be talking about the four noble truths. So, um, get started. So the four the four Satras are the the noble truths of Buddhism. Um, were teachings traditionally given by Buddha. I'm not a Buddhist myself, but I think some of the ideas, I guess in general, uh, looking at religion and from more of an outsider perspective, not taking things, um, not necessarily taking things from an atheist, atheistic point of view and going into religion and looking at bits to rip apart or take as truth, but looking at them as historical, historical texts and packages of information that have been with us for a long time and fundamental truths or underlying truths that have been carried across time. Um, things that I can learn uh, because I think we, we've all got quite a lot to learn. So and I think Buddhism is quite, quite interesting as well. as a bit less dogma um, than other religions and I think a lot of the Uh, Ideas around mindfulness are quite, well, the mindful psychonaut podcast, the mindfulness aspect of um, Buddhism and similar practices have been quite interesting and intriguing for me regardless. So actually, that's that's something that has drawn me closer to this idea. So the four noble truths, um, the first noble truth being Dukkha, Um, speaking about suffering, the incapability of satisfying and pain. Dukkha is an innate characteristic of existences in the realm of samsara. And samsara is a Sanskrit word that means world and encapsulates the cyclical concept of death and rebirth. So obviously that's one of those, I guess you would consider dogmatic Uh, beliefs about the world or just a belief about the world that actually you live the life you live now you die and you live another and it's this eternal cyclical process of death and rebirth the second noble truth is Samudaya of this dukkha so dukkha being suffering that's innate to the world Um, and the suffering that that comes together with tanha which is craving or desire or attachment the third noble truth being nirodha, or cessation so cessation of dukkha the cessation of suffering um, can be attained by letting go of tanha which is craving. So by by letting go of your cravings, um, you can almost rid yourself of suffering. And the fourth noble truth is magga, which is the path leading to renouncement of Tanha and cessation of Dukkha. Tanha being the the craving um, and Dukkha being the suffering so if you can follow the path of Magga then you can be alleviated from cravings and sufferings which generally um, will in- increase well-being which is it's obviously something that is quite important and quite desirable in, in a sense <clears throat> um, and, and the craving which dukkha keep us within this endless cycle of samsara the death and rebirth cycle. Uh, attaining Nirvana can end this cycle that includes the cessation of craving where rebirth and accompanying accompanying dukkha no longer arises. Liberation from samsara in the form of Nirvana. Now, um, in Buddhism, there's a, a path called the Eightfold Path uh, which can bring about some, some sumsumum bonum, or the highest ultimate good of Buddhism. Uh, so it's it's that something to strive for in life. There's eight eight different practices that are are preached here. Now, it's important to mention, or not necessarily mentioned, but to, just to realise that, as with all kind of historical texts, or Take the Bible, for example, there are things in the Bible that are said and some people take as the word and know anything against that or different to that is, well, it is against the word of God. And sometimes it's more almost that guidance of, hey, this was written quite a long time ago by humans. This is not necessarily the word of God, but a, a guideline for how you should act. Um, and I think some of the things in here... Uh, need to be taken with that almost, here are the guidelines, it's not necessarily as specific as this says um, or isn't necessarily the all-inclusive specifics for achieving nirvana Uh, but the principles to promote how to live a noble life so the first practice is um, right resolve or intention So, giving up your home to adopt the life of a religious mendicant or beggar Uh, aims to an environment of non-sensuality, loving-kindness and compassion to aid the contemplation of impermanence, suffering and non-self, the last of which being the recognition of ultimate experience or ultimate existence of experience and the non-existence of permanence or stability. So quite a lot of big words there, which confuse myself sometimes when I read them, but the idea that you can almost give up this constant, you need to have the intention to recognize that things are impermanent, but that existence is permanent this is ultimate existence that continues after death um, but the existence of impermanence with everything including almost that, that sense of self I feel like this but this just not this this constantly changes or the impermanence of everything <laughs> uh, practice two being right speech so no lying rude speech, informing others about opinions that might cause them harm or cause harm in the relationship. Obviously, criticisms of someone that is going to be constructive um, is really important and I don't think applies to this. I think this is almost, this person said this about you, now you're going to feel bad if I tell you. Um, nothing nothing constructive might come about from it. It's just going to cause harm on the other end. Um, Practice three being right conduct or right action. So no killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, or material desires. Uh, I think previously I've spoken about almost stoicism and negative visualization actually. If we have this gap between what we have now, where we are now and where we want to be, we have the desire to be somewhere else and that desire brings about suffering. So if we can have no desire, no material desires, then actually the, the gap between what we have and what we don't have is going to be closer um, and the, the suffering will be lessened. Uh, right livelihood is practice four. No trading weapons, living beings, meat, liquor and poisons. So when I was saying about the kind of the all-inclusivity of the specifics for how to get to Nirvana, liquor and poisons, obviously liquor is this specific thing that they had at that time. I think a lot of other things would come under that bracket now, um, in terms of other sorts of maybe more harmful, abusive drugs um, that would probably be encapsulated in that um, if they had been as prevalent in those in the times that this was made which goodness knows how long it was ago, um, but a- ancient sort of um, Things to consider there, but Generally makes sense. No trading weapons. No living beings. So actually, like actually I guess that would come under animals, but also other humans um, Things that some people recognize as a whole not to trade living like actual other people Um, that is now recognized in most places across the world Um, meat, maybe not so much liquor, poisons, not so much weapons, also not so much Uh, I mean obviously living beings as well that happens in the world still Um, but something quite quite noble to live by Uh, practice five, right effort So, preventing the arising of unwholesome states and generating wholesome states. So, unwholesome states including sensory desire. So, the desire to, the desire for thirst, the desire for hunger, or, no, not not the desire for thirst or hunger, but almost the, the fulfilling nature of, I am thirsty and therefore I would like this, I'd like the sensory desire of quenching that thirst. Of uh, filling my hunger, sort of thing. Uh, unwholesome states also include ill will, so feelings of hatred, um, sloth and torpor, the half hearted action, so not actually putting much effort into something, relentlessness and worry, the inability to calm the mind and actually focus on something, um, and doubt, so the lack of trust in one's abilities. Practice six, being right mindfulness. So being mindful of the dharmas, which are the teachings um, that are beneficial to the Buddhist path. And vipassana, which is mindfulness meditation, uh, in which attention is paid to consciousness and specifically the awareness of the five hindrances previously mentioned. The four noble truths. And the seven factors of awakening, which, are known to be mindfulness investigation into the in, into reality energy joy relaxation concentration and equanimity practice seven right samadhi I have no idea if I'm pronouncing these uh, words correctly hopefully I am I um, I'm sure someone will correct me if if not Um, but right Samadhi which includes practices of four stages of Dhyana the first stage is seclusion from unwholesome factors which results in rapture almost the uh, the joy or rapture of non sensual pleasure so to, to to be content with uh, almost the non-fulfillment of those uh, sensual desires uh, while discursive thought occurs. So actually you, you, you put yourself in a position where you are hungry, you want the food, but discursive thoughts almost allow you to... Uh, obviously food is necessary, but you, maybe you you want um, excessive food and the discursive thoughts prevent you from doing so, but those discursive thoughts are still present. That changes in the second stage of dhyana, um, where almost rapture from the non-sensual pleasure, um, but is free from discursive thoughts, so actually those um, Yeah, the the, the thoughts preventing you from doing those things are no longer there. um, And you are simply in a state of rapture. Uh, The third stage of jhana is affective detachment, mindful, alert, and sense of pleasure with the body. Uh, I think obviously just being, again, being content with how the body is regardless of that state um, and that's truly truly emphasizing the final stage uh, equanimity and mindfulness neither pleasure nor pain just mere sensation uh, and I think that's that's another aspect of mindfulness that I've I guess I'm more familiar with where you might be sat sat cross-legged somewhere doing some mindfulness eyes shut Back nice and straight, no back support. and after a while, you start to get a pain in your hips, you start to feel a sore on your back, um, and the sensation arises which is a little bit uncomforting, but and that might make you want to move, um, make you want to alleviate this suffering, but you can get to a, a stage or a, a point where you just sit and you are content with that sensation. It's simply a sensation. And you do not need to do anything about that. You can sit with it and accept it for the way that it is. Um, Neither in a pleasureful sensation or a painful sensation, it's simply sensation. Uh, So to be content and uh, in a state of equanimity. With that um, so that was the right Samadhi and the final practice is right view uh, the knowing that our, our actions have consequences beyond death as rebirth follows and this encompasses what's known as karma which affects one's future in current life as well as the nature and quality of future lives uh, so one that does follow these eight practices can bring about almost this ultimate or highest good of Buddhism that is nirvana, the state of nirvana. And initially when one reaches the state of nirvana they're going to be in a, a state of sa nirvana with substratum. Of life remaining um, <laughs> hopefully I didn't mess that up um, but almost this initial state of Nirvana initial state um, where there is the remainder of life remaining if in this constant cycle of death and rebirth once you've reached the state of Nirvana it, it uh, can pull you out it means you exit that cycle, that that cyclical cycle of um, constantly repeating death and rebirth. So you have the remainder of your life remaining before you then no longer are in that rebirth um, cycle, and then upon death you enter into the state of parinirvana, which is nirvana without life remaining, which is almost indicates the release of samsara which is almost the world and those uh, that the suffering and desires that come with it <clears throat> so I thought you know wh- whatever you think of Buddhism I think there's a lot of really quite important ideas to take from it um, whether you want to take little parts and go that's really quite important or I already some of those things are already ingrained into me or whether there's things you haven't really thought about before but I think looking into religious ideas or uh, different ideas from from the past can there are fundamental truths at at bay which sometimes are ignored or pushed aside because it has some people quite averted when people tell them how to live their lives but there are some fundamental truths that come about through them Uh, teachings through, in the Bible you have uh, parables of different stories that are told to almost there is a fundamental truth or meaning behind the story in a way that you should act that is better for the world, for yourself, for others Um, and I think ideas from Buddhism almost are similar in the sense that they do also have ways, direct teachings for how you should live your life um, and how when taken wholeheartedly there are actually important things that can be translated there whether you want to follow the religion or or be a believer or not. Um, Yeah, there's some very important things there. So to be able to reach a state of Nirvana um, I think connects with the Latin phrase, memento mori amor fati, which is, remember you will die to love one's fate. So the Latin phrase amor fati, I've spoken about it before, but describes an attitude in, one, in which one sees the events in one, like one's life, including suffering, as good, or at, least, or at the very least necessary. So Amor Fati is linked to Epictetus, a Greek Stoic philosopher who lived around the year 100 A.D. <coughs> and is also associated with Marcus Aurelius, a Roman Emperor and Stoic philosopher who lived around the year 150 A.D. Uh, however, the idea of Amor Fati was explicitly expressed by Frederick Nietzsche in both Why Am I So Clever and The Gay Science. <coughs> So the 19th century German philosopher wrote, my formula for greatness in a human being is amor fati, that one wants nothing to be different, not forward, not backward, not in all eternity, not merely bear what is necessary, still less conceal it. All idealism is mendacity in the face of what is necessary, but love it. Also, I want want to learn more and more to see as beautiful what is necessary in things, then I shall be one of those who makes things beautiful. Amor fati, let that be my love henceforth. I do not want to wage war against what is ugly. I do not want to accuse. I do not even want to accuse those who accuse. Looking away shall be my only negation. And all in all, and on the whole, some day I wish to only be a yes-sayer. To be able to take the totality of events in one's life and see them as necessary is liberating. The realization that suffering is innate to life and to no longer wish for its removal in an attempt to escape dukkha. The video Good by Jocko Willink, video I have played on this podcast before on a previous episode, highlights the benefits of this outlook. To be able to approach seemingly negative situations with the attitude that goods can be taken from them broadens the potential for growth in every situation. the growth that can bring about meaning, a logos, to be able to deal with suffering. Nietzsche's idea of the eternal recurrence is a concept that all existence has been recurring and will continue to recur. Regardless of whether this is true, the consideration that it could be, can allow for greater acceptance in life and to follow the path of least resistance. I'll finish today's podcast episode with a thought experiment from the gay science. What if some day or night a demon were to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness and say to you, this life as you live it now and have lived it you will have to live once more and innumerable times more. And there will be nothing new in it, but every pain and every joy and every thought and sigh and everything unutterably small or great in your life you will have returned to you, all in the same succession and sequence. Would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke thus? Or have you once experienced the tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you are a God and never... Have I heard anything more divine?" Despite this nihilistic doctrine being quite daunting, Nietzsche thought it could be beneficial by adding weight to whatever decisions you make. Whenever you make a decision, you should imagine that you will have to make that decision over and over again, that there will be infinite replays of that decision. You should then choose whichever option you would be willing to choose across all of those replays. In other words, don't go with one option for the sake of it and hope that you'll get a chance to choose another option at a later replaying. Pick the option that stands up to scrutiny over and over again. Um, So, how would you react in such a situation and how could that change the view of the world? Because uh, I think for myself if knowing if that was true or the living as if that was true and knowing that you need to sorry, picking picking the path or the doing completing actions that will best put you in the best position essentially not for yourself now but also for your future selves for the rest of your life for all of the lives that or every time you repeat that life actually you're not going to make it any worse than it needs to be because it's going to happen eternally forever um and i think that relates again back to the idea of karma and actually if you do if you act badly now it will impact your future lives and <clears throat> you act badly now and it not only makes your current life worse but if the current life you live is if the karma is going to carry across and you're going to live a that karma will make that future life that you live worse or even if it's gonna make your current life worse which you then have to play again and again and again surely you'd want to make that almost as best as possible for yourself um, but a variety of different ideas um, I think again Amor Fati is it's a funny uh, a funny quote um, in, in, in a way um, but also quite 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 frustrating sometimes actually to catch yourself out in moments of suffering and, and despair um, and just tell yourself amor fati like, this suffering now it's it's necessary it, this this uh, your laptop breaking your girlfriend leaving you this person passing away this person falling ill the promotion you didn't get like all of these things that happen are necessary and there's good that can be drawn from them it's so difficult and rather frustrating in the moment for someone to remind you that or for yourself to remind yourself of that but it's so powerful so so powerful because You hold on to that, and what purpose does it provide? To hold on to suffering, to sit in almost a puddle of your own tears. It's like, well, why would you do that? If anything, it'll make things worse. Okay, um, something bad has happened. There might be a lesson to be learned. There might also be gratitude to be taken. Do those things and move on. Do not hold on to that. Um, don't just dismiss it altogether because the lesson to be learned to prevent such a thing happening again, or the gratitude to be taken in, say, the passing of a loved one. So the, you, there's not really much of a lesson there. They, they they died and there was nothing you could do about it. Um, but there's gratitude, or, or the lesson is to be more grateful for the time that you have with people. To, again, look at the other latin phrase memento mori remember you will die actually <laughs> it's quite morbid and uh went through a i wouldn't say it went through a phase but um the topic of conversation i guess at the start of this year was like what do you think about death why why do you tell people um the things that you do about people dying the afterlife heaven and hell uh where do people go when they die? How do people deal with death? All these ideas around death, it's so, um, it's so interesting. And I think I want to have the discussion because not many people talk about it. And some people just have some ideas and hold them. They don't, they don't really want to think about death because it is quite scary. Um, some people will think about death but won't truly consider it. And to know that you might die tomorrow, or today, or in the next 20 years, or even in 70 years time, and you have a wonderful life, and, and you live long, and you get to experience a lot of different things. It will happen, um, and I think you need to be prepared for that, and you need to live your life so that you, you know, I don't think you should have any regrets in life. There are lessons to be learnt from actions that you might have you know in those almost regretful actions but i think the actions that you do that some people will often say oh i regret doing this i regret doing that i i don't necessarily see myself to have any regrets because i think amor fati to the 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 acceptance of the things that have happened in the way that they have happened has made me who i am now Um, And the lessons that have been learnt or that are still yet to be learnt from actions in the past, from occurrences in the past, can allow me to live my life and go, well, I could die and I'm going to act in a way that means if I was going to die, actually I'm quite fulfilled with the life that I'm living. I'm, I'm proud to do the things that I do and I'm not going to have these last thoughts of, I wish I did this, I wish I did that. There are things, if there's things that you want to do, or things that are important, you should do them. And I think future episodes will, I guess, having conversations with people about things that are interesting to you, and not just this surface level, I think actually to have a deeper conversation with someone to get to know someone, to, um, to talk to your family members or friends about something important like sometimes there is that intimacy between people and they're able to have a heart-to-heart, express themselves fully Um, and sometimes people can't do that uh, or can't do that for certain reasons and to understand those reasons or to take a look at them rationally and go well why won't I talk about that thing? It's the the fear of embarrassment or the, there's a variety of different reasons why you might not talk to someone about ideas such as this or exp- truly express yourself the way you want to. And I think we need to look at those and go, well, is that, am I being rational about this? Because often we are very almost misconstruing, or misportraying the pros and cons of each, each idea for example to talk about death with a work colleague you know that might be something that you want to do or that say for, for myself it's not necessarily a, a massive desire like oh, i can't wait to get into work today to talk about this um, but to be able to go in and think i wonder what this person thinks of this because I'm contemplating death myself and I'm contemplating what it's like to live a life um, where you don't think about death or now that I've thought about death how important it is to me, I wonder what other people think. Um, the fear to be almost pushed away like, as the weirdo or um, to get into like a, I guess, an embarrassing position with someone else, it's, is that rational? Actually, are you going to either, you know, live in that sort of of state of always wondering what someone else thinks and never truly expressing your desires to know more? Or will you actually almost overcome, accept the potential for embarrassment and people will just go, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, mate, I don't want to talk about that. that might happen, but on the other hand, you might actually have a very deep conversation with someone, which is meaningful. Finding things that give you meaning, meaning in life um, is one of the things that has grounded me this year. What can I do that gives me meaning in life? Because those are the things, meaning is what I need to deal with suffering. One of the things I find meaningful are conversations. Conversations with other people because people are interesting. Um, And conversations not limited to, oh, well, this person kind of expresses the things that I want to talk about with, but people that might not necessarily express that, but you can initiate that. You know, family members that have quite... The the relationship with people changes over time. Your your mum will look after you, and you're not going to have deep metaphysical conversations with her unless... She starts talking about that, or you start talking about that. That conversation is never going to start unless one or the other happens, um, or talking about death. You know, that doesn't happen. Um, sometimes even when death occurs, that sometimes doesn't happen, or it happens, but nowhere near as much as should be spoken about. Um, so it's I'm trying to overcome those those ideas and having meaning and and different, I guess, different ideas in the sense of Buddhism or these kind of Latin Stoic phrases, Memento Mori, remember that you'll die, amor fati, to love one's fate. There's, there's a lot to be taken out of that and actually the principles themselves can, can make you live, can allow you to live a life that is almost more free of suffering or at least not necessarily more free of suffering but better able to deal with the suffering to uh, to get out of the puddle of your own tears and actually move on with your life because there's so much time and energy that can be wasted um sitting there and just waiting for something to change waiting for something to to improve when actually you could just say that happened I can learn a lesson how am I moving forwards from here uh, because there's a lot more that you can get um, when, when you do that and you're you're going to be almost working to better your future self as well as your current self um, by, by perceiving things that way <clears throat> so hopefully that's been an interesting podcast episode the four noble truths of buddhism uh some of the words i'm sure i've i've uh, completely scrambled up the the sayings but um interesting nonetheless and i think listening to jordan peterson and his i guess take on religion and uh speakers like sam harris who is traditionally quite an atheist and having them debate each other and listen to the conversations that they have is is quite interesting because it's, it's pulling out these, these key ideas and stories and fundamental truths that are hidden within a story or a doctrine, um, or even just in the teachings that come along with doctrine and dogma. Uh, I think it is quite... In, quite interesting and quite important to look at them from a range of sources. I think growing up, I was born, brought up in a Christian household, um, and I was... never really thought twice about it, but took on the different stories and ideas of Christianity and the Bible, and there are fundamental truths that I hold dear now um, that I... You know, uh, treat yourself as if, like, as you treat your neighbor. It's like things like that. Well, yeah, we probably should treat people with kindness um, to reduce suffering. Um, But taking it away from the stories themselves that actually this thing did happen and just seeing the underlying meaning behind that story, regardless of whether that actually happened or not, Um, And being able to do so with other ideas, with other religions and and things like that, which makes it quite interesting. I think it's the ability to take on other people's ideas, to contemplate. Um, Not necessarily to believe them wholeheartedly, but what that might mean for your interpretation of the world. Uh, I think it's very similar with ideologies. It's okay, I have this ideology uh, or to consider other ideologies. Gen- generally ideologies in, in general might not be the best um thing to hold on to. It's quite it's your, your, your pattern of thinking is rigid if you say I have this ideology, but and not flexible. But but to, to be able to have your own ideas and to play around with others, to play around with certain ideologies and consider what does the world look like? What are the the impacts of believing this, truly understanding this um, because some of the impacts can be uh, remarkable, they can be devastating. It's almost the idea that, well, if I act in this way, I act, like, if you truly believe some of the ideas that might be presented in religion, for example, you can end up being a good person. Um, on the other hand it could excuse or um, not necessarily excuse but a moral person may believe that it is right to do what most people would see as immoral actions like killing um, in the name of a religion or uh, in the name almost the justification that some text has said something about the truth about the world. If you do this in the afterlife, you will be granted X, Y, and Z, X, y, and Z possibilities or, or occurrences. So, um, yeah, a, lo- a lot of different things that can be pulled from <clears throat> religious ideas and and, and considering alternate opinions where you can understand, maybe you can understand a little bit more about how, how someone functions the way that they function. Why do they think like that? And how does that change the way they act and and do in the world? Um, To then come back and look at yourself and go, well, why do I hold these, why do I hold these opinions and ideas? And how does that change the way that I act and think in the world? Um anyway, I'll finish things there. Hope that's been useful. If you've enjoyed it, if you found anything interesting, if there's things that you think I missed out or want me to cover, let me know. Um the mindful psychonaut on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, um, and also on Instagram. So if you found it useful, you've got any other ideas, um, please do share. It's always very useful. Um and I do want I guess I just want to make people think more. Um, have a discussion with others. Have a discussion with others. Talk about these sorts of things. Have a conversation with people that you're not really, that, that might be a little bit deeper than what did you get up to on the weekend or, um, yeah, a lot of things are so surface level these days. It's, I think it's trying to find out a little bit more about what people actually think rather than what people think they're supposed to say. Uh, I think there's a big difference there. So catch you next time for another episode of the Mindful Psychonaut Podcast.